actively stand against false teaching. And the only way we're able to do those things is if we stand in Christ. He is our foundation. And so tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, if you remember this morning, I said we're going to skip verses 17 through 23. I did not cover those in the morning message, but tonight, that's what we're going to look at. And uh, this section is really written to believers. So in light of everything that Judas said, you know, all of this false teaching, uh, these sins that are going on inside the church, can be kind of discouraging. And it's a really big problem. Uh, and you know, this, it's a pretty irritating thing when someone gives you a problem and they don't tell you how to fix it. Uh, you know, that happens all the time in our lives. Uh, my truck had a problem. I took it to the uh, mechanic shop and it was there for three months. They gave it back to me and they said, you know, it won't start anymore. It still won't start, but we can't fix your problem. You know, that could be frustrating or maybe uh, if you wake up and maybe one day you have pain, you go to the doctor, what's wrong with me? And they say, we don't know. You know, maybe you take this medicine, maybe it'll help. Uh, it's really a frustrating thing to have a problem and not know the answer. And that's really what I did this morning. I identified the problem, and that's false teachers. Uh, it was a problem back then in Jude in the first century, and it is still a problem today in the church. Uh, and all in our world, we see false teaching. Anything, any kind of teaching that's false, anything that deviates from God's word is a false teaching. And we touched on that this morning. But tonight, let's begin in verse 17, uh, and I'll read first couple verses, and what I want us to see tonight is in this section, we're going to get four actions that Jude calls us, uh, four actions we need to make as Christians. We need to remember what Scripture has said, we need to remain in the love of God, we need to rescue the perishing, and then we can only do this if we rely on God's power. Uh, so beginning in verse 17, Jude writes, But beloved... Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So there's a call here to remember the words which were spoken. And this is pretty cool that Jude, in verse 18, he actually quotes Second Peter. So flip over with me to Second Peter. And we'll see what he's talking about, what we were supposed to remember. Uh, it's just a few pages back, Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. So Jude is saying, what God has said, we need to remember it, and don't be shocked when what God says is going to happen actually comes to happen. Uh, this is happening, and he mentions these people, he calls them mockers. And it's significant to note that Jude says in the last days, uh, we've been living in the last days ever since Christ ascended into heaven. Uh, and there's scoffers that were here then, they're here now, and they mock God with their lives. We spent a lot of time talking about this morning that they perverted the grace of God into a license to sin. You know, they claim the name of Jesus, but then they live however they want. They live as if sin's not a big deal. Uh, they mock God uh, with how they live. And what they teach is leading people to hell. So this is not 
just small issue stuff. This is not stuff we can just overlook. But this is major problems within the church. You know, and as we think about false teachers, you know, and we can, you know, I don't know if any of y'all in here watch TBN, but there are millions and millions of people who tune in every week uh, to listen to guys like Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes. You can go on YouTube, you know, that's what a lot of people, younger people watch instead of TV. But the biggest Christian channels are places like Hillsong and Bethel and just all of these huge Christian channels that are not teaching the true gospel. And people are falling for the lie. And they are believing that they are good. They are going to get to heaven because of their works, because they can somehow earn God's favor through their own merit. And as we walked through before in Jude, it is only by the grace of God we can be saved. There are no works that can save us. It's only by trusting in God. And so it's our duty as Christians, it's our task that God's given us to stand against the false teaching that's so rampant in our world. We can't be passive about this. We can't be just Christians on the sidelines in our own world, you know, kind of the mindset is don't bother me, I won't bother you. We're called to stand against the truth actively, to stand against false teachers, to stand for God. And that means we're going to be talking uh, to people about God. And so this call to remember the words of God, uh, that assumes that we know, we remember what's in Scripture and we know what's in Scripture. And the only way you're going to know what's in Scripture is if we're spending time in God's Word. Uh, And I'm not talking about just a verse of the day, daily bread, five minutes, but really getting in and trying to see what is God saying. You know, what is God trying to say in His Word, studying it, asking people uh, questions, having people hold you accountable, making time every single day to read God's Word. Uh, We shouldn't just give God the last few minutes of our day, you know, and I'm guilty of this before, you know, getting so busy with life and all the things, just going a hundred different directions, and then the last five minutes, right before I go to sleep, it's like, I need to read my devotion. You know, and I'm tired, and it's like I'm giving God the last little bit of leftover bit of my time. You know, and that shows, you know, on those days that I didn't value God's Word. I didn't value my time in Scripture. Otherwise, I would have made time. I would have cut out something that's not as important. So we need to read God's Word. We need to hear God's Word preached. We need to be talking about God's Word to those that are around us. We We need to surround ourselves with the Word of God and soak it all up because that's the only way we're going to be able to identify the false teaching when it comes up. We need to be able to remember what God has said whenever people say something that doesn't sound right, when something is off in Scripture. We need to be able to remember verses whenever people have questions about Christianity, whenever they believe these false teachings and false doctrines. We need to be able to know where to go in the Bible. You know, that's not just the pastor's job. That's all of us as Christians. Uh, We should be well-versed in Scripture. And if we're not, we should study to become more well-versed. Because this is how God speaks to us. It's through His Word. It's how we learn more about Him. It's got to be a priority in our lives uh, that we know what Scripture is. So Scripture, we're called to remember Scripture. uh, And then we're also, in this passage, we see Scripture's warning. So in verse... 18, we read about these mockers who are coming. Uh, they're going to walk after their own ungodly lust. They're going to do what they want. They claim to be Christians, but they live as they want. And then in verse 19, we see some of the problems that they cause. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Uh, these false teachers and this false teaching is causing separations in churches. It's causing division. It's causing strife within the body of believers. 
uh, as Christians, we're called to be of one mind. We're all uniting together with one purpose, and that's to serve and glorify God. And we're not going to be able to do that if the church is split, you know, and half the people over here don't like this half and disagree, and they're fighting amongst. We're all supposed to be on the same page. We're all supposed to be seeking to honor and glorify God. And division destroys churches. It destroys the name of God. Uh, so these false teachers, they bring in that division, cause the separation. And then it also says they're sensual, kind of like we looked at this morning. Uh, they're worldly. They look just like the world. They act just like the world. And then uh, Jude kind of, here in this last statement, he kind of just drives home the point of what he's been saying this whole time. These people that claim to be Christians, these people that say they believe in the grace of God, these people that come to church, they're, they're in the body. They don't have the Spirit. Jude says straight up, they're not Christians. They're not saved people. You know, and that can be kind of hard for us to say. You know, a lot of times we use the phrase, well, no one can know but God. No one knows if someone's saved. Only God knows. Maybe they are. But Jude says, based on the way these people are living, he has no problem saying they do not have the Holy Spirit. Because if they did, they wouldn't be living this kind of life. They would be striving to become more like Christ. They wouldn't just be going out and sinning every weekend, engaging in fornication and drunkenness, over and over again, no problem. You know, God's grace is good. He's going to forgive me. That's not the attitude that we see of the Christian. Uh, as a Christian, those, someone that's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, he has saved them and he's transformed them into a completely different person. He's given them a new heart that's going to desire to serve them. And if you're in here tonight and maybe you don't feel a conviction of sin, maybe you're involved in sin right now and it's just, you know... So what? You know, I struggle with sin. It's not that big of a deal. To God it is. To God it's a really big deal. And you need to repent of that sin. And you need to turn to God and ask Him to forgive you. Uh, don't fall for the false teaching that sin isn't that bad. Don't believe the false teaching that God will overlook sin because He's not. Either you can pay for your sins yourself in a real place called hell, or you can trust in Jesus that His finished work has paid for your sin at Calvary. And so... That kind of leaves us in a hard place as Christians. You know, as we have people we know that they claim to be Christians, but they don't live like it. Jude is calling them, calling them out. He's saying they're not Christians. We're called to have those same conversations. We're to pursue these people, and we need to make known that if, they, if something doesn't happen in their life, they're not going to go to heaven. They don't have salvation because of the way they live. And that can be a really hard place to be in. You know, if you've got friends and relationships, and all of a sudden you're telling them, you know, if you don't trust in God, you're not going to be good enough. There's no way you can be good enough by your own works. And that is, that's a really hard message to hear when you're a person that's trying your best to live, uh, to glorify God by your works. You know, there's a lot of moral people. There's a lot of good people that respect God's word. They do their best to follow God's word. They come to church. They raise their family right. They check all the boxes, but uh, if you really press in and you tell them, are you trusting in God? He's the only way. Your works can't save you. That's offensive, uh, and the Bible talks about that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it does offend, uh, and it's a hard message to hear, and sometimes you know, we're, uh, we're kind of scared to share the gospel because it might mess up a relationship we have with somebody. Maybe it's a friend, and they're engaged in a sinful relationship, and it's just and if I tell them, you know, that that's sin, they might not want to be friends with me anymore. Or a family member, like, if I share the gospel and, you know, they find out that, according to God's word, they're on the way to hell, 
Think of how awkward it's going to be from now on, you know, at Thanksgiving when that person's there. Those can be really, you know, those are real situations that make it hard to share the gospel. But then we have to ask the question, do you really love someone enough to give up that friendship for the sake of sharing the gospel? Do you really care about that person enough to where you're saying, I'm going to walk away from this relationship to drive home the point that you need to save, you need to repent of your sins, you need to turn to Christ. Uh, And for us as Christians, there is a real danger to falling for false teaching. You know, it doesn't just come in, it's obvious, it creeps in slowly over time. And that comes from not knowing our Bible. We have to know our Bible if we're going to stand against false teaching. So we must remember what Scripture has said, and we can only do that by knowing what's in God's Word. And we must surround ourselves by God's Word. The second point I wanted to mention tonight is we must remain in the love of God if we're going to stand fast against false teaching. So let's look at verses uh, 20 and 21. Verse 20 reads, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So Jude gives us a few different ways here that we can remain in the love of God. The first one he says is, you build yourselves up on the most holy faith. Jesus Christ is the foundation for our faith. He is the solid solid rock on which we stand. And that's not something we should ever forget. We must remember constantly who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And the gospel, you know, if you've been saved, if you've been redeemed by the blood, there shouldn't be a day where the gospel just doesn't blow your mind what God has done for us. There shouldn't be a day where you lose that feeling of amazement, that feeling of joy that Christ has forgiven you of your sins. That's the reality for us every day we wake up as someone who's trusted in Christ that I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed in Jesus, and nothing can take that away from me. That fills our hearts with joy. That gives us peace, recognizing the mercy and the love of God has given us in Christ. So we must stand on that truth and stand against anything that might might take away from what Jesus has done for us. And so as Christians, we must be reading God's word, and then we can read their good Christian books about God's character, about the love of God, about the grace of God, the holiness of God. And we just need to surround ourselves with Christian literature. You know, and you can do that by yourself or, you know, I would encourage you to find someone else. You know, hold each other accountable. Let's read through a Christian book together. That's kind of what Pastor Sam started with me even before he was pastor of this church. He said, you know, I'd never had a young pastor like that before. He said, hey, you want to meet up, you know, once a week and we can start a Christian book and just talk. And, Six years later, seven years later, we still do that uh, when we're able to. And so through that relationship, I've been able to grow so much. And that's why God has placed these people in this church, to help encourage one another, to help exhort you. And we're all trying to grow together to learn more about God. We're all striving together with one mind uh, to preach the gospel, to glorify God. And so we must remain in the love of God by building ourselves up in the most holy faith and then In verse 20 at the end, we see we're called to pray, be praying in the Holy Ghost. And so as Christians, our lives should be marked by prayer. Uh, If everyone, you know, if we go around tonight and everyone could see what your prayer life consists of, would you be embarrassed? Because honestly, I think I would. Because there's days where I only spend a couple minutes in prayer. There's been days where I don't even think about praying. 
getting so busy just going through everything and thought of prayer doesn't even come through my mind. As Christians, we are called to pray. And as Christians, if we have a relationship with God, the way you have a loving relationship with someone is you talk to them. You engage in conversation with them. And we're able to go to God in prayer whenever we want because we have access through Jesus Christ. He's the mediator between us and God. and He presents us before the throne. And so we're able to boldly come before God with our prayers, with our needs, with our burdens. First uh, John 4, 5.14, turn back there real quick, just a couple pages back. First John 5.14. It says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. So God hears our prayers. It's important to note, you know, He doesn't just give us everything we desire, but what we ask that is according to His will. And so I would say, remaining in the love of God, that is God's will for our lives. So we ought to be praying that God would keep us in His love. God is going to answer prayers uh, that are in His will. And so uh, God will hear us. Uh, God will keep us from falling. He will keep us in Christ, in His love. And we need to be praying that God would protect us from false teaching. He would protect us as a body of Christians from false teaching. That we would be able to uh, see that, detect that, and we'd be able to uh, get rid of it before it comes into the church. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And so it's important to note that the only reason our, our prayers have power is because the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us in prayer. The Holy Spirit is the one who utters the things that we can't, we can't even say before God. He's the one who takes our prayers. Because if you've ever prayed before, sometimes you know, we can kind of get jumbled up and kind of forget what you're praying for. The Holy Spirit is there to help us pray, to help us really pray for the things we need. And He guides us in prayer. He empowers our prayers. Uh, so we must remember that it's only through the Holy Spirit we're able to pray to God. And so prayer is vital. It's essential. It is a fruit of being a Christian. And that needs to be something on our schedules. It's not just a, something in the back of our mind that if we get to it, we get to it. But it's, you know, it's on the calendar. It's on the checklist of, you know, I need to spend time in prayer today. Not I should, but I have to. This is the only way I'm going to grow as a Christian. This is the only way I'm going to be able to remain in God's love if he helps me. And the only way he will help us is if we ask him for his help. He's given us the access we need to go to him in prayer. So the question is, why don't we? And I'd say it's just our priorities get mixed up. We get so busy. We don't really believe that prayer is always that powerful. But God's word has promised that it is. God's word has promised that the creator, God Almighty, hears our lowly prayers. You know, and that's just such an amazing thought that God really does listen to us. God really does hear our prayers. And he cares about what's going on in our life. He wants us to pour out our burdens. Uh, and so that's what we ought to be doing as Christians. We should be marked by prayer. And then the last sub-point uh, under this section is we're only going to remain in the love of God by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We say that in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So what's going to motivate us to remain in the love of God when life gets really hard, really when there's really dark times, when things are really bad, it's remembering what we're looking forward to. Because we're only going to stay in this thing if there's something greater coming. And there is something amazing coming if we're in Christ. 
uh, we have the promise from Scripture that Jesus is coming back. And even if that does not happen in our lifetimes, we have God's Word that when we leave from our body, when we die, we will be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you long for the day when we don't have to worry about pain and sorrow? We don't have to worry about struggling with sin. We don't have to worry about death and sickness. We just get to be with Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us. And so Paul uses the race metaphor. We see that in Timothy. He says the only reason we're going to run the race, the only reason we're going to keep running whenever it's hard, whenever it's a brutal race, whenever there's hills and bumps and we fall on our face, the only thing that's going to keep us to get up and keep moving toward God is to remember his promises, to trust that uh, whenever we reach the finish line, whenever our life ends, we get to be with God, something far greater than anything can offer in this life. So when life really gets you down and you ask yourself, is it really worth it to keep running? Uh, We need to remember why we started running to begin with because it will all be worth it when we see Jesus. You know, and that's just something... Really important to note that Christianity isn't, living out a Christian life is not an easy life. In fact, it's hard. Jesus says if you take on his name, you're going to face persecution. Why wouldn't you? Jesus was persecuted. His own received him not and crucified him. If you take the name of Christ, the world is going to hate you. Uh, The life of the Christian isn't just to believe in God and all your wildest dreams will come true. you know, we hear that in a lot of churches, just a soft gospel. If you, le- if you live for God, if you try really hard, if you give a lot of money to the church, he's going to bless you and he's going to take away all your problems. That's not what we see in scripture. We see guys like Paul. We think about his life, the beatings and the whips, the whippings, and ultimately his own death, all because he was serving Christ. He was doing everything he could to honor and glorify Christ. So we shouldn't be surprised when hardships come our way. Uh, Jesus has told us they will come. We will suffer for his name's sake. And hopefully we can be like Paul and be able to rejoice in the sufferings. Be able in a little way to say, I'm able to suffer for Christ, the one who suffered for me and gave his life for me. So we must keep running. We must uh, keep running the race, fighting the fight, because we know the end is going to be worth it, because the promises of God never fail. And so Jude mentions here, In verse 21, we see, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then a little bit later on in verse 24, what we read this morning, God is the one who keeps us from falling. And so there's kind of a, uh, you know, is it it us? Do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Or is it God? Does he keep us in his love? You know, which one is it? Jude's kind of saying both. And I'd say it's both. God is the one who keeps us. God is the one who saves us. God is the one who redeems us. We are his. He purchases us through his blood. He keeps us. You know, the story of the sheep, no matter how far it wanders off, the shepherd comes and finds the sheep, brings it back. God's not going to let those that he's redeemed go uh, because he's already paid the price for them. They're his. And then also, as Christians, we have the responsibility to serve God, to use the tools he's given us to honor and serve him. Uh, Whenever we live out our life, we make the decision, you know, whenever we face something in our life, am I going to give in to this temptation and sin? Or am I going to honor God and kill the flesh and serve after God? Uh, so there is responsibility that we have to keep ourselves in the love of God. But ultimately, it is God who does keep us. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who holds us fast. Uh, but he has given us everything we need to fight sin, to live, to honor, and glorify him. And so as we move into our third point, 
Uh, this point will be rescue the perishing. And this is going to be verses 22 through 23. And that says, On some having compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So here we have, you know, as believers, the first two points are how we guard ourselves from false teaching. You know, we have to be invested in God's Word. We have to be praying. We have to be building ourselves up on our foundation of Jesus Christ. And now we're going to kind of move into, well, what do we do about Christians who are struggling with false teaching? And in this section, in verses 22 and 23, we see there are some people who are beginning to doubt God's Word. And Jude tells us how we're supposed to uh, address that. There are those who are already dabbling in false teaching. Uh, there's a little bit more urgency with that. And then there's the false teachers themselves. And so Jude is going to explain to us how are we supposed to handle these situations? What are we supposed to do as Christians? So in verse 22, uh, Jude 22 reads, And of some having compassion, making a difference. Uh, the word there for verse 22, making a difference, is literally to convince those who are doubting. So have compassion, have mercy, and convince those who are doubting and are beginning to think you know, false teaching might be the way to go. And the only way we're going to be able to do this you know, as a church, as a body of believers, is we have to know what's going on in each other's lives. Uh, we have to know when somebody's beginning to waver into false teaching. Uh, false teaching creeps in slowly and pulls believers down its path. So we need to be paying attention. We need to be observant to what's going on in other believers' lives, which means we're talking to each other. You know, we're spending time, investing time in one another's lives. We're checking up on one another. You know, not just talking about the weather or our hobbies, but talking about things that really matter for all eternity. You know, how's your walk with God going? What are you learning in Scripture? You know, asking those questions. And then investing time in people who maybe misunderstand Scripture. Maybe people who are, they've got other sources they're learning from and they're starting to go to a path that uh, leads to false teaching. Uh, Jude calls us to have compassion on them, show them mercy, and then spend time talking to them. Take time to show them from God's Word what the truth actually says. And it's going to mean taking time, having patience, and really investing our own time in their lives. You know, and that's hard for us because we're all really busy people. You know, you probably ask everybody in here, they'd say they're the busiest person they know. Uh, we all have just so much stuff going on. We live in a society where there's always constantly something, you know. You work your job, and then you maybe have a side job you want to make, and then you do other stuff, and you help your family, and whatever it may be, the list goes on and on. You have hobbies you like to do. We just have tons and tons of stuff going constantly. It can be really hard to slow down and give up that time to help somebody, to help a brother or sister in Christ uh, who needs it. And that's what Jude calls us to do. That's what God calls us to do, is encourage one another, invest in one another, uh, spend time with one another. Uh, we must be discipling uh, one another. And then also we need to be discipled ourselves. Uh, I think in small group this past week, the question was, uh, who is your Paul? You know, a, spirit, a spiritual mentor. Do you have somebody in your life that is speaking God's word to you, that is you know, a fellow believer in Christ, but maybe they've been a Christian longer, maybe they're a more mature believer, and they're helping you in your walk. Someone you can go to when you face those difficult situations in your life. Do you have somebody like that that you can go to? Uh, and then also, the latter sure, do you have somebody that you're pouring your, your heart into, that you're helping them along their life, uh, along their walk as a Christian? The call as a Christian is not 
I'm on my own. I'm a lone soldier, but we're brothers and sisters in arms. We're here to encourage one another so that we can serve God effectively together. And we don't want to see a believer fall into false teaching. You know, it's a really sad thing when you have somebody come into church and you love seeing them and the next thing you know, they're not here anymore. It's what happened. Oh, well, they got into this and they're somewhere else now. It's, you know, it hurts and it's hard. And how many believers, how many people have slipped through the cracks because churches have not been observant, have not seen the false teaching because people just didn't know what was going on in believers' lives. Uh, we must be uh, attentive and we must be uh, concerned with what each other, what's going on in each other's lives, which means we're talking to one another. And so those, that's our response to those who are beginning to doubt the truth of God's word. And now in verse 23, we're going to see another group. Uh, this, I'd say, these are, instead of doubting, these are more people who are beginning to dabble in false teaching. Uh, so still compassion, but there's a sense of urgency. It says, and others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. So the next group, how we respond must be timely. We must pull them out of the fire they are in. This means that we're going to approach them and we're going to confront them on whatever's going on in their life. Uh, tell them that they're beginning to fall into false teaching, that they're sinning, and that they need to repent and turn back to God. Uh, this could be someone getting sucked into the lie that church is not essential. You know, I don't need church to grow as a Christian. Uh, we have to confront them and tell them church is important. You know, we need the church. God gave us the church so we can gather together to grow as believers, to honor and glorify God. Maybe it's a Christian who is beginning to get involved in a sinful relationship. You know, we have to be willing to confront them in their sin and tell them, this isn't right. You can't be doing this. Uh, you need to repent. You need to turn back to Christ. And it's in a loving way, but it is a sense of urgency. We can't just let these things, let these things go by and say, oh, well, you know, they're going to get married eventually anyway. You know, that's not, you know, and uh, God's word takes sin very seriously. There needs to be urgency, and sin does need to be confronted. And so God has given us the church uh, so we can worship him and gather together to encourage one another. Uh, it's not just another thing we get to, de- get to do together as Christians because it's what we've always done. It's not just a good tradition. Uh, we don't just come to church just because, you know, that's what our grandmother did or made us do when we were little. We don't just come to church because it's an experience. You know, how can I be entertained? We come to church to glorify God. and We come to church to encourage the other people in this room. Uh, if you're here tonight and you're you know, a member of Cloverleaf Baptist Church, our duty is to serve God, but also to each other. You know, when we gather together, it's a time where we're able to have fellowship. It's a time where we're able to check in on one another because life is really hard. You know, uh, there are some really dark times that people go through, and they need a group of believers that are going to come alongside them and encourage them. We weren't, God didn't give us the church uh, just so we could go be on our own, the lone soldier kind of idea. Like we said, we're in this together. We need each other, uh, or else we may fall to false teaching. And so do you come to church excited because you get to worship God, the one who has saved you, the one who has redeemed you, the one who deserves all the glory? Do you come to church recognizing that I get to worship God with other people who believe the same thing? We get to come together as a church and praise God. You know, that's an awesome thing. We get to praise the true and living God. We get to sing to Him. We get to pray to Him. 
we get to hear his word taught and preached. You know, that's awesome. Does that, is that exciting to you? Or is church just another box you have to check? Another thing you do just because, you know, it's good for, it's good for my family, it's good for me, or what can I get out of church? We need to view our gatherings as a time we get to glorify God together as a group of believers. It's a time to be encouraged and challenged from God. And we need church. We desperately need to come to church. And sadly, more and more people are seeing church just as an experience for themselves. You know, what can I get out of church? What does this church have to offer me? Church isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about serving the brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, There should be an excitement for God's word, for the truth, to hear God's word preached. Uh, this group of uh, this group that we just mentioned, those who are dabbling in uh, in false teaching, the picture there is they're they're teetering on the edge of a cliff. You know, we, we have to run out and grab them and pull them back so that they don't fall off before they go off the cliff into false teaching. This is urgent. We can't just pass by. We can't just say, I really don't want to. You know, I don't want to confront that person. It could be awkward. I don't want to tell them. It's urgent. Jude calls us uh, to pull them out of the fire before it's too late. And then the last group we're going to look at in this section are the deceivers, the false teachers themselves. How are we supposed to deal with the false teachers as Christians? Are we to uh, just write them off? Because God's Word does say we hate, we are to hate the false teaching. We are to stand against the false teaching. We hate the idea that there are people out there who are twisting God's word to deny his grace, to deny the deity of Christ. But what do we do about the false teachers themselves? Do we make fun of them? Do we, are we happy that one day they might go to hell? I hear believers all the time say, you know, well, you know, uh, they're going to get what's coming to them. You know, they're gonna, they've got a special place waiting for them in hell. And that's not the attitude we're to have as Christians. Second Timothy tells us, what our response should be to these guys. So turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2, verses 24 through, 25, through 26, tell us our response uh, to these uh, deceivers. Beginning in verse... 24 of chapter 2, it reads, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. From 2 Timothy, we see the call is to be praying for these people. Not to mock them, not to write them off, not to make fun of them, but to pray for them, to truly hope that they will repent, that they will turn to God. We are to have compassion on them. And we talked about this morning, you know, our job as believers, you know, we have the gospel. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the only saving grace that someone can have that can save them from spending an eternity in hell. We can't keep that to ourselves. The joy of the gospel, what Jesus has done, it should overflow into our conversations, into our friendships, into our relationships at work. You know, we we have such a high view of God. He's that amazing that it just spills out in our conversations. 
You know, people know that we're Christians because we talk about God. That's, that's what should be said of us in the workplace. They shouldn't have to wonder, you know, I don't know if that person's a Christian. Uh, we ought to be telling people the gospel because that's their only hope. Not seeing them as, you know, there's no way they'll come to God. They're a lost cause. They're engaged in this really bad sin. You know, they're going to get what's coming to them. That's not the attitude we have as Christians. It's to have compassion and there's almost a sense of sorrow, like, you need to turn to Christ, you need to repent, like, please, you know, we beg with people, don't fall for the false teaching, don't fall for the lie, uh, don't die without trusting in Jesus of your, uh, to forgive you of your sins. And so this goes for false teachers, we shouldn't mock them, you know, and if, if you go on, uh, you know, if you were to go online and look up false teachers, first thing you would see pop up is a picture of a false teacher with devil horns and fire behind them. And, you know, it's just people mocking them, saying, you know, they're, they're just like Satan and those things. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be laughing at those things. Uh, we should have compassion on them. And that goes for false teachers and really anyone else in our world. Uh, we should not attack and mock those that God has placed in authority in our lives. That goes for your teachers. That goes for your boss at work. That goes for your parents. And that goes all the way up to the President of the United States. Whenever you attack somebody that God has placed in authority, you're really attacking God. You know, when you say, that idiot doesn't know what they're doing, how could they have got elected? Saying, God, why did you put them in office? Do you not, are you not in control? Are you, do you not understand how bad this dude is? Uh, we need to understand that God, has, God is sovereign and he has placed exactly who he wants in the authorities that we have in our life. We ought to respect. doesn't mean we agree with everything they do, but it means we should not be mocking them. We should not be attacking their character. If they're not saved, we should be praying for them, not making fun of them. So that goes for the false teachers and really anyone in our life. Uh, We ought to uh, praise God for his sovereignty and recognize that the heart of the king is in God's hand. God is still in control. Whatever may happen, you know, God still is sitting on the throne ultimately. He's doing exactly what he wants to do. Whether or not we agree with it, it doesn't matter. God knows a lot better than we do. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. We're not. And so we need to trust in God. And that kind of ties into our final point we'll look at in verse 25. Uh, to do all of these things, ultimately we have to rely on God. And so uh, verse 25 of Jude, so turn back to Jude if you're not already there. Uh, in verse 25 we kind of have this closing benediction and doxology about God. And so verse 25, uh, verse 25 reads, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. We rely on God because He is the omniscient, supreme God that is sovereign over everything. God is all-knowing. He knows everything from eternity past to eternity future. He's sovereign. He's in control. Nothing happens without His permission. That means God has a plan and is working all things out to His honor and His glory. And even though there's so much false teaching and so much confusion in our world, God is still in control and we must trust in His plan even when it overrides and conflicts with our plans. So we need to trust in God. Remember and rely on Him. Because if we look around at the world, you know, you go and watch the news, go on social media, and you just you begin to forget about God and you see what's going on in our world, it's really depressing. It's really sad. There's 
not very much good news. And if there is, it doesn't compare to the bad news. You know, we almost have to just create this false sense of reality to say that, you know, there's more good than bad out there. But if God's in control and he has a purpose and plan, even for the sinfulness, even for the wickedness, God is using those things for a reason. And we stand against it, but ultimately we rely on God and trust in his plan. Uh, he's the one who makes the decisions and calls the shots because he's the one who is the all-wise God. And then it says he's our savior. Uh, he has saved us from our sins through himself, through his son, Jesus Christ. The creator died for the creation. And we can't begin to understand how deep God's love is for us. That he would send his only begotten son to die in our place. He is our savior. He is our only hope in life and in death. And as Christians, we should be able to get to the point, just like Paul, to say, for me to live is Christ. You know, what a joy. I get to live my life for God. Or I get to die and I get to be with God. Either one, he's like, both of these things are amazing. You know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, what an amazing place to be in that whatever happens in life, whatever circumstances, we can be content. We can trust that I can do all things in Christ who strengthened me. God gives us the power to get through this life. Uh, we need to rely on him. He's our savior. And then this last phrase, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. God gets all the glory. That is our purpose in, create, in God creating. That's the purpose that God created us, is to honor and glorify him in everything we do. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That means the simple task you have at work, you're able to do that to God's glory. Whether you're eating a meal, you're able to praise God for that meal. You're able to give God the glory. Whatever you do, you can do it to God's glory. You know, give it your best. Do it as unto God. And we just remember what we've learned in Scripture. That was our first point. Remember what Scripture has said. No Scripture. Have your foundation on God's Word, which means we're going to be invested in it. We're going to be reading in it. We're going to surround ourselves with the Word of God. And then we must remain in God's love by building ourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, knowing that the end is already determined. Whatever happens in this life, doesn't matter. One day, we're going to be in heaven for all eternity with God. And I can just imagine we're going to look back and be like, man, you know, I remember kind of going through those things, and it seemed really bad at the time, but, you know, now that we're in eternity future, you know, it wasn't, it was nothing, you know, compared to the glory and the peace that we have in Christ. So that's how we're able to keep running the race. That's how we're able to keep contending for the faith. And then we must go after those who are falling for the false teaching, invest in them, take time to get to know what's going on in their life. Ask them why, figure out why they're falling for this false teaching. What is going on in their life that they find this false teaching so attractive? Uh, taking time out of our schedule to invest in other believers. Uh, and then in order to do all this, do all these things we mentioned today, whether it's standing in God's truth, standing against false teaching, remaining in God's love, remembering scripture, we have to rely on God's power. We must rely on the one who is able to keep us from falling, the one who has all the power, all the wisdom, and everything that he does, he gets the glory. He gets all the glory because he is God Almighty. He's our creator, and he's the one who deserves all the praise. Uh, he's the one who has given his life to make us his. And so that's our call as believers, to live for God, 
stand against truth, stand against false teaching. And that's kind of Jude's main theme as we've seen all this thing. Earnestly contemporary of the faith. We aren't just Christians on the sidelines of the field, but we're actively engaged. We're standing for God. We're standing against false teaching. Uh, we, God has given us a desire in our hearts. If He's made us into a new creature, uh, we ought to be serving Him with everything we have. Because He's redeemed us. We're His. You know, we ought to be living our lives to honor and glorify Him. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening. And God, I thank you just for the willingness of everyone to come back out tonight for our evening service. God, we thank you so much for...